Comic Book Tales is an immersive comic book experience for the new or lapsed comic book fan. I take a closer look at the comics that shaped my childhood and influenced my adulthood. Comic books are an amazing entry into another world and even provide the pictures to complete the fantasy. Join me for a new Comic Book Tales adventure. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Tales. This is issue number 52 and if you can count, you know that's been one year of episodes weekly. So... Happy one-year anniversary to Comic Book Tales, those of you who've been here from the beginning. Congratulations, those of you who haven't. Why haven't you? Go back and listen to old episodes or issues. Uh, today I'm going to do some question and answer. I thought it was a good chance, uh, issue 52, to do some question and answer. These come up periodically, and sometimes I don't have enough for one show, so I hold them. So if you've sent in a question and haven't heard it, please keep sending them in. I will get to them eventually. It's just a matter of getting enough in one show. So today we've got a couple questions, which I think, the average comic book fan is starting to ask some of these questions and maybe was afraid to ask their friends or family as to how does this happen exactly? I don't quite understand what's going on here. So the first question we have is why do most of the Marvel stories take place in New York City? And that's really not as complicated as it might seem. All right. First of all, uh, Marvel Comics, timely publishers prior to that, was based in New York City. Most of the artists and writers were from, born, raised in New York City or or the suburbs thereof. So they're very centric to where they are located, which makes sense. You write about what you know. You're going to write about New York City because you know New York, New York City. You don't know um, Omaha, Nebraska. It just doesn't work. Now, that's not to say that every story takes place in New York City in the Marvel Universe. The Guardians of the Galaxy obviously doesn't takes place outside the Marvel, outside of Earth for the most part. But there are some times, like the Avengers will go to the Savage Land, or the X-Men will go to the Savage Land, or something like that. Even the X-Men are based in Westchester County, which is just north of New York City, if you're not familiar with that geography. So it's, it's really about what they know and what they can draw on. Now, the bigger question that comes in with this, and this wasn't asked, but I, I'll answer it anyway, is, so if... All the heroes seem to be based in the New York metro area. Why do the criminals always go to New York to set up their world domination? And it's, it's a very good question. It, and it's really, it comes down to simply the, art, the writers really are cheating a little bit because they don't know any other parts of the country that well. So they pretty much just put everything in New York City and it's constantly battleground zero for everything that ever happens. You would think Dr. Doom would say, hey, you know what? All these heroes are here that are here to stop me in New York City. I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Okay, let's do that instead. Or Chicago or Seattle, something like that. Now, to be clear, there have been other superhero teams in the Marvel Universe that were based in other cities, um, the Champions of Los Angeles, which really wasn't that great of a series, but was based briefly in Los Angeles. Uh, the West Coast Avengers were based in the L.A. area. Uh, the Great Lakes Avengers were based in, I believe they were based in Michigan or Chicago, maybe. I'm not really even sure exactly where they were based. Uh, you've seen some other things with the Avengers Initiative. They had different places throughout the country. They were trying to broaden the appeal of Marvel Comics to the rest of the country, but it it's never really worked because they, their heart wasn't in it. It's really about New York City and the things that go there. Now, you will see some stories that will sweep into D.C. Um, 
or other parts of the world as they're appropriate. The Mandarin's based out of China. The radioactive man's based out of China. So you see some of that with Iron Man, uh, but it's really it's really New York focused. It's U.S. focused for the most part. Other things do happen in the world, but you don't see that as much. Excalibur, that's another one I just thought of, uh, took place in Great Britain. So why they happen here? That's what the, the artists and writers know for the most part, certainly when it was founded. And that hasn't changed dramatically because that's the formula that works. So they go with it. Once in a while they'll branch out, but not that often. So the next question is, who is Stan Lee and why does he seem to pop up in all the Marvel movies? All right. So first of all, Stan Lee is probably one of the most important persons uh, in the Marvel history, in the Marvel universe. And not because of all the characters he co-created, which he did a lot of, the early characters. And not because he was an artist, because he wasn't. He was a writer. But more because he's been the face of Marvel Comics for decades. Uh, Stanley Leibowitz was is his real name. He went by Stan Lee because he thought someday he would write the Great American Novel. Um, thus far, I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it's not sitting in a desk drawer somewhere waiting for the right time to publish. Uh, Stan's in his 90s now, but he was the nephew of the publisher, Martin Gorman, Goodman, sorry, Martin Goodman, um, in the 40s and came in before World War II and kind of started out as an office boy and eventually became running the office, went to World War II, uh, was enlisted in World War II and wrote some stories uh, at that point for the, the publisher. When he got out of the service, he came back to Marvel um, and did a lot of other things up until the birth of the Marvel Universe in the 60s. Uh, but he was barely been the face trying to get Marvel recognized. Do so you think back into the 60s and 70s when Marvel, outside of comics, there wasn't a whole lot of Marvel. You know, it was a TV show for Spider-Man. There was some some um, cartoons that were stop-action panels. Um, that was Stan Lee trying, out in L.A. trying to get some things going. You started to see a little bit more in the 80s, into the 90s with comic uh, with cartoons and in the live-action with the X-Men. And that really is the thing that changed Marvel. Um, he was persistent. You got to give him that. So he was persistent in getting a Hollywood to recognize that there was something there in the Marvel universe that could be used to make successful movies. And I think he's been vindicated with that. Uh, he's derided a lot by the Kirby family, the Jack Kirby family, because they claim he kind of took credit for things he didn't do. And I think Stan, everything I've ever read, Stan's given Jack Kirby um, a, a, a lot of praise for what he did for the Marvel Universe. Now, why do I say Stan's so important outside of all those things is because he kind of kept the mystique of Marvel going. He talked about the, the bullpen. And in reality, the bullpen was him and Jack Kirby for a period of time. And Jack Kirby worked at home and brought stuff in. And Steve Ditko and things like that. So... He he made this. He made you believe that there was a family of artists and writers working collaboratively in an office where it was just fun, 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 mayhem all the time, and everybody wanted to be part of that. It wasn't. Um, if you read read some behind the scenes things about Marvel, you would know that that's probably farthest from the truth. 
but it still made it feel like that. And it grew this mystique. He came up with a no prize, which was basically you find an error, we give you no prize, <laughs> but you got a no prize. The mighty Marvel marching uh, society, things like that. He just, he came up with things to hook people, whether he intentionally thought they were going to work or not, or just throwing stuff against the wall. It's hard to tell. Now, why is he in most of the movies? Initially, it was just going to be in the movies for characters he was at least a co-creator of. It's expanded into you got to get Stan Lee in the movie. You got to get Stan Lee part of this. He didn't do Gar- He wasn't a creator of Guardians of the Galaxy, yet he was in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he was in the most recent Deadpool movie. He didn't create Deadpool, uh, but he is the face of Marvel Comics still to this day. For a period of time, it was a picture of Stan's face with Marvel Comics around it. That was the symbol for Marvel Comics for a long time. Because of what he's meant to the organization. And again, I said he's in his 90s, and he still represents Marvel in all he does. Now, he's done some things on his own to varying degrees of success. But his association with Marvel, he was editor-in-chief for a long time. He's just been a very big part of that universe. So that's who he is in a nutshell. Why is he in the movies? Because he's Stan Lee. And (laughs) when you see him... Everybody looks for Stanley cameos in the movies. They always, always, always look for Stanley. So you should always look. He's in most of them. He's not in every one of them. He's in most of them. Um, the next question is: Is Damage Control an ultra secret arm of Shield? Um, I'm glad somebody brought this up because I think it's interesting. If you've been paying attention to comics, uh, Damage Control is not an ultra secret arm of Shield, but it's a good guess. Uh, damage control was in the news a couple months ago as a possible um, TV show, and I think it was Netflix or ABC was looking at it uh, as a possible TV show, more of a comedy, which you don't think of Marvel as comedy, but bear with me for a second. Damage control was a short-lived comic series in the mid-80s, uh, and it dealt with the people who fix New York City after superheroes attack and it's really interesting because when you see all those buildings destroyed go back to the avengers of the first avengers movie the whole city was destroyed well who fixed that who fixed that back and made it new york city again well we we don't really talk about that but it was a it's a group called damage control and their whole goal their whole purpose for existence is to repair buildings and and cities uh, post superhero attacks or superhero defensive by a supervillain or invasion or something like that. So that's what they do. And it's the minutia of how does this happen in, in a more of a comedic way, not so much blah, like the, the comedy thing that Marvel tried to do in the seventies, but, or Eek, but more of, you know, here's a take on better off Ted. If you've ever watched that, show that was on some years ago on ABC. It's it's what goes on behind the scenes, and it's kind of comedic. It's kind of ironic, and it's something you never really think about, but there it is. So they're supposed to be in development of a TV show for that. So we'll wait to see if it comes out and if it actually works, but uh, it's not an ultra-secret armor shield, so sorry. Uh, the next question, why is Captain America so good at being the ultimate soldier when he receives so little training and mostly as a grunt in the infantry? Um, that's a very good question. And my daughter kind of echoed that sentiment. We watched the first Captain America, Captain America, the first Avenger over the weekend again. And she said, daddy, why does 
when Captain America throw his shield, it always comes back. It always knows where it's going. It just bounces correctly. And, and you'd think about that. That would be a highly trained, skilled athlete to even consider being able to do that. And you look at a football player or a baseball player or a hockey player, they can't put the ball or the puck exactly where they want every time. You know, wind conditions or just fatigue or just somebody in their way gets them out of whack. But with Captain America, it's almost always the shield comes back to him or it goes exactly where he wants it to go. And that got me doing some research. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of data out there as to why this happens. If you can find something, please let me know. But basically, what I can gather is when he went for the 98-pound weakling and the grunt trained as an infantryman and got the super soldier serum, it, it changed everything about him. It changed his physical ability or physical form, but it also changed his abilities. It made him a highly honed athlete. It gave him skills and abilities that no one else could possibly have simply due to the injections and the, the Vita rays. And I think that's the hardest part. It's almost like it's, it's the, you can see physically how things might've happened to make him change, but it's hard to make the leap to, okay, how's he a, a master tactician? Well, we could say he wasn't much of a tactician in the 40s. He wasn't a super tactician until he was revived by the Avengers in the 60s. And then even he had to work at it. He had to practice at it. He's constantly practicing to hone his body. You see that in, in his own series. You see that in, in the Avengers. You see him constantly working and practicing. So there's, it's not hard to believe that he tries to work at maintaining his edge. The bigger question is how did he get the edge in the first place? And I, the only thing I come up with is when his body was altered, his brain was altered, and it gave him abilities, Olympic quality and ability, Olympic level athletic abilities, and a mind to process these things quickly. So if we can assume that giving somebody injections in the major muscle groups and bombarding them with Vita rays can change you from a five foot four inch man to a six foot two inch man and nothing happens to your brain that seems a stretch so the assumption is things happen to his brain his abilities increased with the other things along his body so it's just a natural uh, progression that these all happened at the same time and he became much more able to do things he shouldn't have been able to do but can again it's comics so it doesn't have to be completely rooted in the real world, in the here and now, and the yes, I should be able to explain it. It's not always explainable completely. Some of you have to take on faith and say, okay, I get it. So the last one is, why are some comic book movies so far off from what you see in the comics themselves? And there's a couple reasons for that. The one reason is because... Some of those things don't translate well, and we've talked about that previously in other other instances. Some of these things just don't translate well to film. You know, what looks good on a piece of paper, colored ink, doesn't look as good, doesn't make as much sense. I mean, some, sometimes it never makes sense anyway, but you put it on film and it just it doesn't work. You know, you try it and you try test shooting and it just doesn't work. Um, part of the other thing is some of the backstories of these characters – are just accepted but not really explained in the comics uh, or they're explained and it just doesn't 
doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people and you just accept it. And a comic book fan has been reading X-Men for 30 years, just accepts the things about Wolverine or Rogue or Storm that if, when you put them up on film and try to make a live action motion of it, you're going, it doesn't, it just seems stupid, you know, and you got to make some changes. Now, the other big thing, and this is a, I think a huge part of it is you need to have a filmmaker or a film crew, writing crew who actually understands comics. I don't mean just a comic book writer. I mean, somebody who can make a movie and understands comic writing or maybe has written in the comic industry, but also makes movies. Um, Kevin Smith, probably a little bit better than this than most, but some of his projects, I wouldn't say necessarily translate exactly as I would like. But you need to have somebody who understands comics, not making a frame-by-frame comic on the movie screen, like Ang Lee tried to do with The Hulk. It didn't come over right. I mean, you can even see, if you go back and watch that movie, you can see the panels and how they're basically shifting. It, it doesn't work quite the way you think it does until you put it up on film and it, it's not right. But you need to have somebody who has an appreciation for the material. There's a backstory. There's a, ca- there's a catalog of information here that needs to be reviewed and made part of um, the story you're telling. Now, it doesn't mean you have to give everything in minutia. But you do have to keep it true to most of what you're seeing. Change what you have to change. But, it, you know, some of the – if you go back and watch the X-Men movies, the early ones, they seem cool at the time. I don't think they've held up nearly as well. Certainly the special effects haven't held up. Um, Sabretooth in that first movie was – it was horrible. It, he he was like a dog basically, and that's not Sabretooth. Uh, yes, he is animalistic, but it, it doesn't hold up over time because we were just getting to the era when you could make some of these movies, and it was just on the early stages. So they've gotten much better. I think the Days of Future Past X-Men have done a much better job, even though it's about an earlier period of the X-Men. Um, Marvel's done a much better job after they learned from the Hulk and Daredevil uh, how to make a movie that actually works for audiences. Yes, they can be popcorn filler but they have to advance the story and some of those didn't advance the story x-men 1 and x-men 2 were well received x-men 3 not so much but it was really tough because brian singer had left the project um, between x2 and x3 and it showed it, it was a much worse project for for that so why do they some are good some are bad well some are good because the the material is good and you stay true to the material and it's good material to start with and you also have somebody who actually understands that material and can make it work on the screen. They're, they're talented director, talented writers, talented um, costume people. It's just all all comes together. And when you don't have that, you get this past summer's Fantastic Four. You get a stinking pile of crap, unfortunately. So that's that's it for the questions today. If you have any more, please send them to me. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Comic Book Tales. Or you can send an email to info at comic book tales, and I can help you uh, get some answers, hopefully in the future. All right. I'll talk to you next time. I'm Chad. Good night. <laughs>